I know what you did last summer. I know what you did last summer. Yeah, well, we were together, and it was a quarantine. And so, um, I, in fact, I can assume what a lot of people listening did last summer. You don't both have to know what each other did, <laughs> did last summer. summer. <laughs> I did a lot of gardening. I started cooking. I got really into cooking. And there were certain things I did last you summer. You let your hair grow? Literally and metaphorically. <laughs> Not really metaphorically, mostly just literally. Uh, yeah, I, had, I got a man bun. You were like, uh, you look like, I mean, not in the face, but Tom Cruise's character in Magnolia. Magnolia. <laughs> and I didn't have the same regrets about my father, fortunately. <laughs> um, yeah, he is really good in that movie. Oh, my God. I had heard that his own. That's not a hot take. No, nah, he's always He's good. amazing. Everyone, but everyone knows he's great in that Are movie. people sick of hearing us talk about how good of an actor Tom Cruise is? But he's, I, you know, I heard that his um, his own father passed away recently before before that movie, right before they shot. Oh. And so he used a lot of that. Oh. And Jason Robards, the actor, was, in fact, dying during that. So A local hero. He lived, that's um, right. He lived near us growing up. I remember seeing him at every Friday night. We would go to Luigi's Restaurant, shout out, in Fairfield, still there. Um, and occasionally we would see Jason Roberts there. But I was a kid, and I didn't really understand why our parents were, like, getting excited about it, especially yeah. their father, who's, like, not really into, like, celebrity or anything like that. Well, no disrespect to the legendary Jason Roberts, but this story has really gone off the rails. It sure has. Hey, let's get into the show. Okay, uh, let's get back on the rails. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Choo-choo. <laughs> Life could be a dream. Life could be a dream. You're listening to Life is Short. I'm your conductor, Justin Long. Life could be a dream, sweetheart. Chugging along with me as always on these tracks, oh life. Chugga lugga, chugga lugga, chugga lugga, chugga lugga. Is, um... Well, I'm just trying to think of what a, what a co-train conductor does. There's only one conductor, right? Uh, I don't know. There Is might there be a, a co-conductor. Co-conductor. Uh, my co-conductor, Christian Long. And um, well, we have a we have a little thing coming out uh, today that's exciting. Or it came out a couple days ago. Yeah, we got a thing. <laughs> we why got a thing. Why are we talking about what uh, we did last summer? That's a good question. Because we did have. I mean, we had fun summers for sure last summer. We were editing our movie. Mm-hmm. We were um, relaxing a bit. We we're trying to stay away from people because it was the height of the pandemic. I, you know what I also was doing was getting back in touch with the simpler things. We talked about gardening and cooking and and um, and being more present to nature. I I've, I kind of re-fell in love with the natural world. And I think a lot of people maybe had that experience of slowing down and taking stock. Of course, I'm glossing over we both are, you know, why we were doing this, but we don't want to dwell on the tragic elements of it. Right. We're trying to make the best of it. Mm-hmm. And, and um, what about this past summer? Similar, I guess. I, I worked. I went to Bulgaria. People are sick of hearing about. Um, but we also continued to work on the movie in a different capacity on our movie Lady of the Manor, which is now out on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, and yeah, that's a good question. Why are we talking well, about Well, let, let me tie it in. Okay. Let me tie it all together here. Okay, all right. So set the table for me. We're talking about what we did last summer because that's a sort of a veiled reference to <laughs> the hit 90s film, I think 1997, uh-huh. I Know What You Did Last Summer, which starred, among other people, the great Ryan Phillippe. Freddie Prince. Oh. Ryan Phillippe, current gut friend of the show. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. would be a great uh, future friend of the show. Yes, I, every cast member of that. Uh, Sarah Je- Michelle. Jennifer uh, Hewitt. Love Hewitt. Love Hewitt. Um, but speaking of love, we love Ryan right now. 
and we have loved him ever since uh, he he did us a huge solid <laughs> by lending his uh, talents, his incredible comedic gifts, gifts that I did not know he possessed for many years of knowing him um, and not knowing him personally. Uh, but he is really, really funny. I mean, he's a fucking... I think a lot of people might be surprised to learn that. People who saw McGruber won't be. But um, for any anybody who ha- isn't familiar with his comedic chops... Yeah, and at the risk of sounding uh, repetitive talking about the movie Lady of the Manor, which we've done ad nauseum on this podcast... I'm sick. I'm sick of hearing about it. Uh, but we're going to do a little more because Ryan was in the movie. He was great in the movie. And um, we're going to talk about it because also, it's it's our show. Yeah, it's our show. And we're also, I'm sorry, we're we're proud of it. It was a $1 million movie, low budget. We, we uh, a lot of people helped us make this. And, um, but, you know, all the talking about it and the, we've been talking ad nauseum for the last couple of weeks about it, as Christian said, and doing as much as we can to get it out there. But um, right now it's out there and it's a very strange feeling to have this thing that you've worked on so hard. Um be out there. So we we really want to say thank you to all the people who who have downloaded it, who have streamed it, who's watched it. Um, even if you just bought it and didn't watch it. Oh my God! So many nice comments oh. that I've that we've gotten on on the shorties on Facebook and um, on Instagram. Like I, I'm so like proud and happy that really? there are people that are find it funny and it's just like a nice diversion for an hour and a half. And they've. Uh, They've gotten their minds off things for an hour and a half. Like, that's the goal. Yeah, that was always our goal. We wanted to make something that made us laugh. Um, It it makes us laugh. And so we're so happy that it's making some of you laugh, too. And uh, thank you for for checking it out. Because it is one of those small movies that you really have to um, talk about a lot, maybe to an annoying point, like we have to get it out there. So our guest today, Ryan, was so kind and generous to be in our movie because he's used to being in much, much, much yes. bigger movies yes. that people know, like Cruel Intentions and the aforementioned. I know you did last summer. And, and he and oh, we talk about our fathers. great movies. I mean, he's in Stop Loss. We talk about today. Um, we don't talk about Fifty Four, but that's one of my favorite performances of his. He's uh, Go- Gosford Park. Yes, that's right. God, he worked with Robert Altman. Um, he was, uh, you know, for a long time, he has been in the public consciousness. He has been. Uh, one of like our foremost actors, hunky actors, and I think his looks have definitely, for me, in my perspective of him, overshadowed uh, his real gifts as an actor, which which are how really how funny he is, and and what a, what a gift for comedy he has, and um, so we talk about that, and of course, if you've seen Lady the Manor, you already know that, but like Christian said, we were he was really kind to to come down and, and uh, do that movie with us, but. More than that, it was the way he did it. I just remember he was so patient and uh, it was on, there was a lot of waiting around and it wasn't like a, you know, he couldn't, didn't have a nice trailer to go back. Those th- those things that a lot of actors get on bigger budget movies, um, it required a lot more patience. We've talked about Melanie and Judy, uh, but Ryan was really hung in there with us. And, uh, so we hope you guys hang in yes, there with nice. us talking about Lady of the Manor and uh, in the show in general. And I have to say, Ryan is... So handsome that I apologize to all of you for not being able to see him. It's unfortunate this isn't filmed. It is, uh, but I'll not f- this part. <laughs> no, that's good. This, this, is, this is, is fine. Filmed. That this yes, isn't filmed. Yes, it's for the best. Uh, but Ryan, you'll be deprived of um, his face. But I'll put something on Instagram. And again, if you haven't seen it, check it, check out his face in Lady of the Manor. Uh, but right now, here he is, uh, the very funny, um, our friend and um, 
the star of Lady of the Manor, one of the stars, the handsome, I mean, duh, Ryan Phillippe. Life could be a dream, sweetheart. Dell TechFest starts now. To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technology is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech. For a limited time only, save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13 Plus, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge technology and free shipping on everything. Again, that's dell.com deals. Hello, hello again, shaboom, and over we'll meet again. It's a little appropriate, I think, only because I feel like this was, and this is not a brag, in fact, this is like an admission. I feel like this was my energy on the set a lot. Um, yeah, Did I, I think so. <laughs> but that, but... I think it's also part of your personality and part of your charm. It can't be that charming when you're working with somebody who's like, oh, I'm sorry I'm late and I'm holding people. <laughs> I, I, it can't be charming. I disagree. See, I disagree because I give like a wide, like I am so socially awkward um, in, in life in all ways that I, I allow people or I, account, I take uh-huh. into account the, the fact that they may be well, in some sense. I, I guess I do too. Uh, I, in fact, I'm, I, I kind of like when I feel a little bit more balanced when people are the other person's thrown off, you know, it kind of, kind of yeah. helps me find my, so you're welcome. Yeah. But also, isn't that where most of like my favorite humor comes from? It's like uncomfortable, awkward, totally. you know, I think, and there's a lot of that in Lady of the Manor, you know, there's certainly elements of that in MacGruber. Totally. Like I, I love when, when, you know, and it makes me also think a lot about Norm Macdonald who oh, just man. passed and like, that was his wheelhouse. Absolutely. When people were at their most uncomfortable or didn't know how yeah. to react, that's when he was thriving. It's, it's the moments you know? of silence. It's it's what you did on. Um, I want to talk about Norm, but it, it's what you did on Kyle Dunnigan's uh, show recently. That was so funny. It, it, you and that's what Christian. I've been talking about this for the last couple of days because we're like just in awe of what you did in our movie. But but um, specifically like your ability to do that to invest in those awkward moments and 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 never like wink at the camera there's no you never you did this in our movie you did this in mcgruber um you never play the joke how hard is that to do when you're when you're opposite somebody like will forte or, or kyle dunnigan like how do you how do you dig in and not laugh well i think the hardest part about that is is that i'm a fan yeah of those yeah. people at, at my core. So there's parts, there's times when we're making MacGruber, I'm relatively prepared for when Will says the lines that are on the page. When he improvs and I don't know what's coming and he is one of the most like quick-witted, genius, fearless performers. And that's when I, I have to like resort to some causing myself some kind of physical that- pain. Like either <laughs> I'll, I'll bite the inside of my cheek or I'll dig my fingernail into my thumb as hard as I can just to distract uh-huh, uh-huh. myself. Um, because that does become a real challenge. Like playing the straight man is not easy. Yeah, I bet. 
in in those situations. I mean, you know, in MacGruber with Will and Kristen, their costumes alone are ridiculous. You know, we had some of that in, in our movie as well. But like, you know, and they're and it, Will will get right up in your face and he'll start doing a baby voice. And I'm like, how the hell am I not oh supposed to well, you- react or laugh to this? You know, I, and and you know, again with like Kyle Dunnigan, I just think is. I unbelievably talented. I'm the biggest fan of his. I would do anything he asks me to do and be a part of. Um, and even in doing that little bit with him, it's like, I would rather be watching it than being in it in some ways. How did that McGruber thing happen? Because I, I was surprised to see you in that. Um, I, I, I think a lot of people were. I, how did, did you, was that just a simple audition? Was that something that Will had, had approached you about? No, um, I got a call to do the read through. And, and my representatives are really dismissive about it. They're like, they're like, uh, you know, they, we got called, would you, you know, there was this thing called MacGruber. They're like, you know, would you want to do the read through? I'm like, MacGruber, are you like, are you serious? To me, as a lifelong fan of SNL, like I've literally watched every episode. Um, I was so excited. They thought that I would never want to even go near that material, but it was, I had the exact opposite reaction. And so they just asked me to do the read through and I went in and I was terrible because I was trying to be funny. I thought they wanted, I thought because it was MacGruber and there's going to, and it was so silly and it was written so funny in such a funny manner that I also had to like come with a character and so I, I did th- I did this character that was like uh, so far from where I ended up in 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 the film, um, and so it didn't go well. It makes sense, like that. That probably be most people's instinct is to try to. I mean, that, that's what he's he's an absurd character. You see it on Saturday Night Live. So you, you probably also feel like you have to prove yourself because you're not you weren't at that point known for doing comedy. Exactly. And and I thought that the whole thing was meant to be heightened, but it's not. And so it was Yorma, the director, who who was saying, no, we want this to feel like an 80s action movie. And the only person who's really meant to be super ridiculous is McGruber himself and also Vicky Kristen Wiig. Um, and so it, it t- and, and, and I've seen this indoctrination take place now on the series with people like Lawrence Fishburne, who, who's in it, and Sam Elliott, you know, it helps, I guess, having seen the movie and to see how Powers Booth played it and how I played it. But Yorma and, and John Solomon, they both co-directed the, uh, the episodes this season, would tell every actor, no, you play this as if it's, the stakes are as high as they can be, everything is as real as possible, and then let the other stuff happen around you. I think that's the genius of that movie. It's the way you guys are playing it. Will's obviously so funny, but like I, the only he's allowed to be because of how people are playing it like that. Right. And if everybody and so that was the thing, too, is like so the movie comes out, it bombs terribly. We we all were devastated. Uh, never thought we'd be revisiting that material or that okay. universe again, you know, but the opportunity comes up to do the series. And in and in the time between the release of the movie and now it's become like a cult oh, favorite. Yeah. It's ended up on on lists of top 20 oh, yeah. comedies of the last 20 years. And every like comedian wanted to be in, in the series, you know? So Yorma is telling me like he turned down like Ben Stiller and oh, Jonah Hill God. and all these people. He said, because he's like, you'd be bummed if you're, you know, you can't populate a story like that with all funny people. It's going to diffuse 
what is valuable at the core of the thing. You know, if everybody's trying to be funny, it's going to lower the overall humor across. Totally. The board. You know, I, I always find that on, um, I love Curb and I know you love Curb, your enthusiasm. I, I, I always, I, we talked a little bit about that. I, you, you can always tell, I mean, that, that's on that show in particular, you can always tell, you can see it in play there when somebody's trying to be funny or they come in um, with expectations to be funny uh, rather than just kind of, because it takes a certain amount of, that's what, what you did in McGruber is really something we, we think is special because you, you, it takes a certain amount of confidence to, to do that, to, to, especially when you get what's funny and when you're a fan of comedy to let somebody be doing all the funny stuff and just, and just be a sounding board, you know, just be reactive. You're like totally reactive in that movie. Um, was it, was that a challenge or was it like, once you understood the thing, was it easy to stay in your lane? It was. Yeah. Once I was recalibrated, uh -huh. once I was told, you know, this is you're in an action movie. You just have to deal with this goofy, insane, ridiculous partner. But yeah. But like, that's not who you are, you know, and once once I understood that and then I would just apply it to because I have done other action and and mostly drama throughout yeah. my career. And I'm like, that's just that's that's the way. Just play it straight. Play it real. Play it as honest as you can within the ridiculous circumstance. That ends up being just as, to me, just as funny. Some of your reactions, some of your I, I, I imagine these are the, like the hardest it was to not laugh was when like you said when he's in your face i mean when he's like yeah like giving you that aggressive like i'm gonna fight like are you trying to make you flinch <laughs> do you remember a scene where it was just it, it became impossible i mean i feel like you're kind of hinting at it it was the the scene on the tarmac <laughs> right before he explodes the van full of wrestlers <laughs> and he's up in my face telling me how you know you think your shit doesn't yeah. stink but it does and he's like you know and and will there's no there's no shortage. He could do a hundred takes if given the freedom and each time say something different and absurd and, 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 and so perfect for the situation. And so that those were the times like, it's really when he, when he starts doing silly voices up in your face, it's like, if anybody was to do that to anyone in any right. realm, <laughs> you're going to, you're going to break, you know, but then I became a point of pride for me especially in amongst that collective, because on the first film, you know, we, Seth Meyers would be on set pitching jokes in between takes and, you know, Akiva, who's part of Lonely Island. And, you know, it's, you had like, it was like, I was kind of getting inside that whole SNL world that I always loved. And so I wanted to I totally, impress them yeah. by not breaking. And so it became like a real point. Like that became my focus. I'm like, they can, everybody else can break. I'm not going to break. That's going to be my thing. You know, I remember how people used to talk about like on SNL during the Fallon days when he and Horatio Sands would break a lot during sketches. And it was kind of like, but some people frowned upon it. Some people enjoyed it. But like my whole thing was I'm going to like prove myself by by not breaking, by by being, you know, that dude. I did a day, two days on Anchorman. Uh, which I got cut out of, which was uh, a real bummer. But I remember I had the same that I yeah. But didn't they put you in the deleted? Scenes? Yeah, yeah. I did. I saw. No, it. you yeah. did. Yeah. See, like yeah, yeah. Of course. Dude. People, you're a real student. You like you love comedy. So, so I'm a comedy nerd. One hundred percent. You are. Yeah. I was yeah. surprised. Were are people? Where was that? Is that from SNL? Is that what you grew up on? Was it? Was it just a matter of absorbing that stuff? Yeah, it was. And in fact, so I went to. Um, like Christian school growing up uh -huh. and um, we didn't have a 
arts program. Huh. Was, you know, that's not that wasn't a thing. Uh, no, no school dances, no, no rock and roll, like very, very flashed or footloose. But uh, one of the sketches, like a senior school sketch um, that I wrote and performed, we basically lifted the whole um, Dana Carvey as Johnny Carson thing. And I would do a ver- I would do my interpretation of Dana Carvey's uh, Johnny Carson and did this whole thing in front of them. And it was very racy for like we were it was subversive, like we slipped things in there that Definitely wouldn't have been approved by the school board at, the, at this Baptist school. <laughs> about Christianity? No, about the students and about, yeah. you know, uh, allusions to what some of the teachers may or may not be up to and that kind of thing. Like, it was definitely, we got in a little bit of trouble afterward. But um, Dana Carvey was one who, like, I would try to do every single character that he played. I would try to impersonate and and and... Like I just admired him so much, um, and so yeah, SNL was was like a core part of like my my enthusiasm for comedy. Um, so Ron, were you doing a Johnny? So you were basically like a big. Were you doing an impression? Yeah, yeah, I was doing Dana Carvey's Carson. A weird, weird, wild stuff. <laughs> I remember doing that in but I remember just lifting doing his. To this day, I think of Bush as like. Carvey's version of Bush. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's really and the funny. church lady and like the church lady was such a breakout character, like yeah. in pop culture and then Wayne's world and just all, I mean, he was, he was, he was one of my favorites um, when I was that, you know, in my teenage years or whatever. Did, did you, when, when, so when you first, but you, you started acting young, I know professionally you, you did um, like as a teenager, you were, Right. Yeah. I mean, my first real job was at 17 on a soap opera, One Life to Live. And I played the first gay teenager in television history. Oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah, God. It was the first time there had ever been, um, yeah, that representation. How uh, did the Catholic point. school feel about that? They shunned me <laughs> and my family. What? For I, real? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I didn't end up graduating. I had to get a GED. I had to get my diploma in, in other ways. No like we were, shit. Yeah, man. I was discriminated against oh fully. Oh, my yeah. God. But also, you got to remember, I mean, you know, I don't know how much of that would change with time in the religious context, but, you know, this was before Will and Grace. This was before... Ellen, you know, up until that point, the primary point of reference for a gay character on television was Billy Crystal on Soap. Really? Oh, my God. Or like Rip Taylor throwing confetti. Right. Hello. But, but um, yeah, so it was pretty bold. It was pretty... Um, it's hard to imagine, I know, for younger people listening to this, not to sound condescending, but like, you're right. I mean, it was, it was just such a different landscape culturally that there was... Um, there was it didn't exist i'm thinking of the gay characters that i i remember from then and it was like it was like cartoonish like caricatures for the most part it was or it wasn't even directly addressed right right it was just like they're strange so how does that feel i mean that must not have been an easy decision i mean I'm, on the one hand i imagine like it's a part on a show that people watch and it's money and it's like for a kid who wants to be a professional actor it's, that's got to be one thing how do you reconcile the potential problematic part of the other, which again, now it seems absurd to be talking about it that way, but did you think it might pigeonhole you? It might um, 
And like you said, you, you're, you're shunned from your school. I mean, there are social ramifications. How did you contend with that? Yeah. And I was only 17 and I had yeah, no sexual God. experience. Like I, you know, at that age, you're always afraid of what people think about you in all regards. And, and, and certainly when it comes to sexuality back then and, and, and whatever else, but, and then on top of that, you know, the indoctrination that, you know, you experience spending your your formative years in a heavily religious school also creates this whole like is this right is this wrong you know from a moral standpoint oh my god um and so it was a difficult decision in some ways um but that also happened to be my mother's favorite television show oh really so my mom had a daycare center in our house growing up so i would wake up in the morning and there would already be like 15 kids in my house before i go to school but so when they would all go down for naps she would watch all the abc soaps uh all my children one life to live general hospital and so it was kind of crazy that my first real job in the industry was on my mother's favorite television show you know that's really crazy so so and thank thankfully it was because you it I'm sure that was compelling. I'm sure that was part of it. It was like, yeah, yeah, but it it was, you know, I remember feeling really insecure about what the reaction would be and how people might think of me. And again, like we're saying today, that seems irrelevant, you know, know. it's not a concern. And in fact, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a bonus where it's like more interesting now because we're all, everything is out in the open, but, um, but then what ended up happening is a, a few months or I was I was only on it for like three months. So a few weeks in, into the show airing, we started to get this fan mail and some of it was so emotionally impactful, whether it was from teenagers themselves who were saying, I've never seen someone like me on television before. Or it was it was I remember we got this one letter letter from a, a mechanic, a father who said mm. that he hadn't spoken to his child who came out of the closet in a year plus, but started watching the show. And through this character I played on a soap opera, found his way back to his son and, and a relationship. And you crazy. start reading some things like that. And it, and it made all of those fears and all those, you know, considerations about what does this mean for me, my life and how are people going to yeah. think? It, it like started to take on a whole new level of, of, of importance. And yeah, that must change everything when you see the effect that it has on, on people, you must just think of it as a job, a job that wasn't like that easy to take on. And, um, God, it must, yeah, change people's lives. It's yeah. And in fact, you know, that started to inform as I, as I got older and, and, and my career grew and that sort of thing, I started to gravitate towards things that I thought had a social message or could or could shed some light on a topic or um because i found that so rewarding and i still do you know when our industry can make people think a little differently or, or open or open eyes um i think that's when it's at its best i mean certainly the escapism is tremendous value in this day and age with the hell that everyone's living through and there's nothing better than laughter but you know even getting to do something like crash, you know, where it just it made people think differently about race relations, and it's it's used um, in collegiate courses now as a point of reference about race relations. And you know, I would just I would gravitate towards I wouldn't say message movies, but but 
but ones that might be able to move the needle in some way from a societal standpoint. You know, I, I, I did this movie Stop Loss with Kim Pierce years ago. You know, that was really about this policy of, of not honoring a, 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 an enlisted person's contract and forcing them back into a situation they didn't want to be in. And so we made this movie about that because Kim's brother had served. And then we later hear, you know, that Hillary Clinton watched the movie and this this politician watched the movie. And then shortly thereafter, the stop loss policy was was ended. Now, I'm not saying that we ended that policy, but I think we certainly we were we were people were aware of it. You know, they, we, we the people that made the decisions to stop that from happening saw yeah. the film. So that's kind of a awesome thing. Yeah, that must feel that must be. To be a part of something like that, that, like you said, really moves the needle. I mean, in a in a, in a drastic way, that must feel rewarding in a way that most of these jobs yeah. don't necessarily. I, yeah, I, I bet. it does. And it did. Similar to the letters that you got on the soap opera, there must be soldiers and people whose kids served who um, recognize that movie and, and, and recognize the importance of that movie. Yeah. And, you know, I've done a fair few military themed projects and I hear from yeah. veterans all the time and I work with a lot of veterans charities and I also huh. come from a military family you know both of my my grandfather served in World War II my dad served during Vietnam my uncles uh various co- yeah so I grew up around those people you know and so it's always been important to me to to do what I could and to represent them properly and you yeah, know I don't think I knew that Ryan how did that impact your decision or, or at least their perception of your decision to be an actor? Because that, that seems like such a, I can only imagine that that must have added a, an extra layer to the, to the, to that decision. Well, I of, did of, sit in a recruiter's office at age 17 with a buddy of mine who ended up enlisting and going to fight de- during desert storm. And it was something that I was seriously thinking about. Huh. Um, there was, there were three options for me. Um, I was heavily into martial arts, so I wanted to, I started Taekwondo when I was like eight years old because I lived in a rough neighborhood and I was small for my age. My parents wanted me to be able to defend myself. Yeah, so they, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, but they somehow scrounged up enough to get me um, uh, martial arts lessons. And then I started teaching kids uh, when I was a kid myself. So when I was about 13, 14, I would teach Taekwondo classes and I had it in my head that um I was going to want to have my own dojo someday that I was going to want to get certified. And um, I didn't know that there was this opportunity that my my dojo presented for for young people around my age to go to Korea and to go through this master program. And and we couldn't afford it. We couldn't afford the plane ticket for me to go over there. So if if my family could have afforded to fly me there. I probably never would have become an actor. I probably would have just become a martial artist and would have no kidding. taught and trained. That was enough of a passion. That was the course you were on for, for like, that's what you want to do with your life. It was. Yeah, it definitely was. No yeah. shit. And so now I've got a black belt in Taekwondo, Aikido, and I've I studied a little bit of Muay Thai and I'm, I've always been super into that. Um, but yeah, so it was either uh, open up my own dojo, enlist in the armed forces, or become an actor. And I guess I took the path of least resistance. Yeah, yeah, I'll say. So your parents were like, they were supportive, that there was no hesitation with them? Um, I wouldn't, I, they, they were absolutely supportive. There was a little more hesitation yeah. on my father's part, just he's a more, he's a more sober individual, you know, 
Navy, you know, he's a chemist. Uh, This this didn't seem like a reality. You know, when you don't when you don't come from when you have no connections, when you grow up lower middle class, it's just not it seems like you keep hearing the, the phrase pipe dream. It's a pipe dream. You know, this is. And and my mother, who I guess in her youth probably had creative aspirations and had a good voice. And, um, you know, so she was kind of living through me. And so she was very much in support of uh, in support of it. But my dad, who's very reserved, everybody comes around once you start having success. And, you know, and then one of the great fulfilling full circle elements to that is when I got to do Flags of Our Fathers with Clint Eastwood. Oh my God, he must have flipped out. That's the only person my dad cares about in our yeah, industry. Yeah. That's the only, like, you know, he grew up idolizing, like, or whatever. Like, and so two of my greatest moments that I feel like I provided or was part of providing for my father, well, yeah, I did provide, was um, him getting to meet Clint Eastwood. And him getting to hold the Lombardi Trophy that after the Eagles won the oh Super Bowl. Oh my God! Those are two things that no one can ever take away. You know. How did you get your hands on the Lombardi Trophy? You were partying with those guys. You were like right. No, no, no. So this was after the Super Bowl win. Um, I, I'm like somewhat friendly with the owner and with some of the people in the organization. And after the Super Bowl, they take the trophy to the team facilities, and then there was this period of time before it's sent away to be engraved. And they invited me and my son. And I brought my father and we all went up to the Novacare facility where the Eagles practiced cool. and got to take pictures holding the Lombardi trophy, which, you know, is the first one for the Eagles ever. Yeah. You know, oh, my God. That was an, it's such a great game. It was. And and to yeah. wait that long. And I, I really think my dad <laughs> thought he was going to die before seeing an Eagles Super Bowl, you know. So I I, I treasure that. This weekend was very fun for us. We got to uh, put our movie out into the world, Lady of the Manor. Uh, but it, it was a little stressful. It's a strange feeling being that vulnerable and having uh, people watch the thing that you worked so hard on. And so I was having some trouble sleeping. What did I do? I cracked open, well, I twisted open the top of my Plus CBD. Daily use of Plus CBD sleep gummies gets you the rest you need so you can wake up feeling focused and refreshed. And um, it's formulated by a team of medical experts and doctors, so you know it's good. Plus, CBD sleep gummies taste great, and they're made up of award-winning CBD combined with melatonin, uh, magnolia bark, which I've tried to chew straight from the tree, and it is not easy. And you look foolish when yeah, you do yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. People... Yeah, somebody took a picture of me doing it. I pretended I was doing a bit, but uh, and it's, uh, there's also lemon balm in there, which is also not the, the best thing to try to eat on its own. So if you want to sleep better tonight, just do this. Visit pluscbdoil.com and enter promo code LONG for 40% off your order. That's code LONG at pluscbdoil.com for 40% off. That's a lot, 40%. All Plus CBD products are third-party tested, fully traceable from seed to shelf, so you can be assured you're getting the highest quality hemp CBD. Hello, hello again. Shaboom and up we'll meet again. Clint Eastwood must be really used to this. I mean, like, he must be used to specifically, like, Actors he's working with, uh, their their fathers specifically. I don't want to like. I hope that doesn't sound sexist, but I know women like things too. But but like it must. Oh yes, they do. I've seen yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. He's he's just kind of like a he's like a 
I have friends who work with him. Is he he's just a hard worker, steely guy, but he's funny, right? Isn't he like surprisingly very funny? Yeah. yeah and really self-deprecating, man. Like he'll he'll make jokes about himself Weird. and about society, you know, the just the the world. Like I, you know, I had a quite a few like personal or private conversations with me where he would say he would he would never want to be a young actor in this day and age. He's like, you don't know the stuff that I used to get away with. Nobody does. He's like, you can't get away with anything now, you know? Like, um, I mean, I feel yeah. that a little bit. With like- I know. Some of the interviews I had this morning, what came up during, because press interviews, it's just, again, it goes back to just being awkward and you're always afraid that you're going you're gonna to misspeak or this or that. And then also the repetitive nature of it, which I, you know very well, where they somehow completely, you know, individuals in far off places who have never met each other somehow arrive at the same four goddamn questions or whatever it is. But so one that kept coming up today, and it also makes you feel like a dinosaur. It's like, what advice would you give to young actors coming up today? It's yes. like, I don't know. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> like, good luck, I guess. I don't know. Like so much of the onus is placed on this social media presence and this constant uh, need to put out content or to feel like, It seems exhausting to me, like to wake up and have that be at the fore of your mind or dictate your day is like your posts and your little, you know, dancing and the TikTok. I don't I still don't get it, man. I don't I just don't it. it, All it is is people dancing to songs like in various like I just I know and lip syncing and stuff. I don't understand. I I know we sound old. uh, I know that. What would you tell young people who um, who wrestle with that, who grow up with that? I mean, that's just the reality of how um, actors promote themselves. Now, I have a friend, he's fucking funny and great and like strange, and but he is the, the last person that I would have thought would get Instagram and he just got it. And he's, he's struggling with it, I know, but that's kind of part of the world now. It's, it's just so antithetical to who he is, you know? His nature, his nature is being compromised. Um, what would you say to young people who grow up in this? I mean, you have a son uh, who grew up in this reality. Uh, how would you, how, what advice would you give him or, or even yourself to balance that? Yeah, I mean, with the kids, thankfully, I mean, my kids are, they're on social media, but they're not wrapped up. And it doesn't, it's not their life, you know? Even like, you know, my son who's with me all the time right now, um, he's working on his music career and he spends so much more time focused on actually making music. And, you know, he checks his phone and he interacts with friends through it, but I I haven't had to govern it too much with him. And also because they've grown up with parents in the public eye, they understand the potential dangers and the fact that none of this stuff is ever really deleted. It can all be used, you know, against you depending on what it is or depending on a person's reaction it could really change the trajectory of your life if you post or print or publish the wrong thing and that's that's what i've made you know a, a point of of distinction for them is that when you when you write a tweet and send it out you are essentially publishing something for the world and for the world's consumption now you might have a small follower base or whatever it is but if it gets picked up or if it's interpreted in such a way, that thing goes viral, even if you're a nobody. There's a a lack of responsibility, at least in the beginning with social media. People were just firing off whatever they wanted. But like you have to understand, like that it's permanent and it's published. And it's like 
thinking about it in those terms will definitely change what you put out in the world. Totally. I always think about that it's to, in terms of Twitter specifically. Um, if, if a funny thing pops into my head or if I have that thought, and I've had it a few times, not often, but I think, oh, that'd be funny to tweet. I never do it because I, I always, um, I, I second guess it or I, I worry about how, it, how it'll be received. It's just too much. It, it requires too much mental thought. It's, a, it's not worth the, the whatever thought that popped into your head. It's no longer just a fun thought. It becomes a point of concern. <laughs> It's just not worth it. Yeah, it can. It can. Yeah. And I think, too, this is something that I've been talking with people a lot about is that, like, you know, the things that that uh, musicians or rappers or out and out comedians can get away with saying we cannot like even though you're primarily it's known true. as a comedic actor, it's still like but like and and that's a, th- a thing to me that I find confusing sometimes. It's like you could make a, a, a wild joke. And it could be received in, in a in a much different way than if comedian X or does it. Or I know. Like, it's like I know. it's just not worth it. No, it's just not. It's, it's not worth the time. Not to say. I mean, I like that. This is maybe this is just our excuse for not having anything funny to say. Really. Mm. <laughs> it's not worth it. I have all these great tweets, <laughs> but I'm not gonna. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't want to get in trouble. But it, but your your kids almost also must. Did it give them pause having grown up um, with the two of you? Did it give them pause in terms of even going into some entertainment field it, it like like music even i mean was that was that a concern for them see because they got they saw the reality of two successful actors um and the paparazzi and all that must have been that they got to see all the negative shit. yeah did that give them concern or, or pause for my daughter maybe a little more so my son tends to take things more in stride and i think that you know, a lot of that stuff has calmed down. Like the way the paparazzi yeah. were in the late '90s, early 2000s. Oh yeah, it, it, people don't remember really unless you were living in it or through it. But like they were going through our trash. They were climbing mm. over the fence in the backyard. When Reese and I had our first child, that was such a big deal. They would they would stop at nothing. Like it was really there were oh moments of that were really creepy, really unsettling. Um, and now. What do you do, Ryan? Well, I mean, if you, I can't imagine what I would do if I saw somebody going through my trash. Do you call the police? Or do you- I've gone after a few of them. You know, there are a couple times that almost became physical altercations that I'm sure I would have been sued for or gotten into. Yeah. Because there was this period of time, too, where the paparazzi would goad you into yeah, some kind yeah. of a response. You know, th- this happened with quite a few people. And, and like it became a known thing because, you know, yes, I could get this amount of money for a photograph, but I can get even more if you touch me, if you, if you, if you come after me physically or whatever it is. Yeah. They would say awful things. Yeah. I mean, really like things that, that in the real world, a fraction of, of that kind of stuff would lead to a, yeah. a fist fight or yeah. some sort of like violent altercation. But there's the constant threat of being sued. They also know all the rules. They know how to extract money. They're really uh, predatory. Right. But, but, now with the advent of social media and everybody sharing their lives of their own volition, it's taken the price, the bounty has gone way down. They just don't make, you know, there's a thousand celebrity blog spots where, you know, back in the late nineties, there was like two or three entertainment magazines that paid a premium for those photographs. Now everyone publishes and puts out, you know, their whole life. They, everybody lives online and and shows everything now anyway. So they just don't get the same, it's not the same value uh, proposition for paparazzi. Whatever exists of that, the remnants of that paparazzi culture now, do you think it is because of that, because of what you just said, 
is it even more sinister? I mean, is it even more, is there a more nefarious agenda behind it? Is it now to get you in an uncompromising situation or, yeah. Yeah, or looking like shit or like picking yeah. your nose or <laughs> yes. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that is the only way that their work is now still sensational or relevant yeah. because like i said it's like everybody's posting their outfit so you know you're going to go out later and attend event an event in that outfit but you've already put on instagram your hot dress yeah. or whatever you know like when you wear hot dresses well <laughs> thanks what was the psychological journey for you with that kind of stuff i mean how do you i did not handle it well in the beginning in my in my early 20s and in in defense or protection of my young my fa- young family i did not handle it well at all man like it would get my blood boiling. I would see red. I would like, I would just want to, you know, it's like a, like a, a bear. You want to yeah. protect your, your, your family and that sort of thing. But then you can't, you probably are then aware of that reaction in front of your kids. So then how do you, how do you calibrate that? How, how do you, how do you not have that response? I mean, it's just, you evolve. It's, yeah. it takes uh, learning and patience and understanding and, um, and, and just not reacting um, yeah. uh, on your first instinct, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, there were some times. Yeah, I bet. Well, I, I want to get back to Clinton for a second because now I'm thinking about like what he would do, how he responds to things like that. What did you learn from him? And what was that experience like? I, I, I want to hear about like your, your dad's interaction with him too. How, how great was that? Well, that was really brief and that was at the premiere, you know, and so that was kind of like a handshake and a nice to meet you. And, you know, I think uh, Clint told my dad, thank you for serving and that kind of thing. And that was really brief, but just the look on his face and, and, okay. and you know, something that I'll always uh-huh. remember. But the experience of working with him, um, you know, it was similar to working with Altman. The two of them, even though their careers are so different, um, had very similar approaches to filmmaking, very economical, efficient. Um, the set is, 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 is peaceful. He, Clinton doesn't like anybody yelling, you know, he, he doesn't scream action. Instead, he just uh-huh. goes, go ahead. You know, it's like, right. it's like, you know, and also like the, the one take thing is so fascinating and so interesting and so freeing in some ways, because, you know, right. if, if we do a scene, and you do, you know, eight takes of my close up. I may be relatively happy with one or two of them, but at the end of the day, I'm going to come home and I'm going to think about all eight and like, oh, I wish we that part or that part or I could have done this here. And there's something more like doing a play when you do one take. It's like, well, we did it. You know, it's like, and and if it's okay with him, who am I to argue? You know, it's like if if he feels like he got it, then you have to submit to the way he works and and you know some people that's not easy to do like there was people i saw in in the film i did with him people resisting that or asking for one more and he would say uh you go ahead and do one more i'm gonna move on you're my god yeah, oh like, my god like, what that's wild what when would he do one more right like if he were to do one more, you, you know would, that's something either technical happened. It was or, technical wow. usually because he he likes the, the the vitality of the first take and he likes imperfections. He doesn't like actors having long enough to start to act, to start to to uh, perform. You know, um, that's a big thing for him. It's like he, I think he feels like the longer 
you give an actor with a specific scene or or a certain amount of takes, it starts to be it gets further away from what he perceives as the truth. Uh, that's interesting. You know? That makes um, sense. But then, but there's no rehearsal though, right? I mean, like no, no. Wow. And in fact, on that movie, I played a Navy corpsman, so I was a, a medic, you know, a field medic in in the war, and <laughs> nobody told me. <laughs> anything about being a medic i had to go and do all of that research on my own they did end up putting me with the guy who had served and 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 was but um i had to do most of the research you're expected to do most of that research on all the technical own. stuff all the like actually saving helping somebody out in the field well when it got down to the detailed like okay this time you are you're putting a tourniquet on someone uh-huh. i would have an advisor there to work with me you know and i i remember i took a dummy back to my hotel room and I would do various like bandages and and so I would work on the dummy and in my in my off hours. But yeah, like there it's when people like that cast you in a film, they're expecting you to come prepared and to deliver. That's both flattering and probably terrifying. Really terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Were there were there takes where you were like, I did not get it. What is he talking about? I I fucked up the line. I whatever. No, I mean I there were a couple of people I talked to before I worked with him. One of them was Tim Robbins, who had worked with him on Mystic River. Um, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, uh-huh. I talked to also. And um, I, I kind of knew what I was going into. And I just started to approach it like like a theatrical performance, like a play. Yeah. And and you, you, you don't get multiple takes in a play. Yeah. You have to it's know true. your lines. You have to know your character. And you have to say and do what you're supposed to at the right time in a play. That's it, you know? And then after that, and there was some, like I was saying, there was some kind of release or freedom in that. It's like- okay. I'm sure you can put everything into that. I'm just psychologically, I'm trying to like, you put everything into that. You know that it's uh, it's, it's all gonna be left out there. There must be something kind of liberating about that too. Yeah, and and exciting, yeah. you know? It was like when, when I got to host SNL, which was one of the craziest experiences of my life. And, oh, man. you know, yeah. it's the closest thing to an athletic event for an actor. You know, you're being dragged in between scenes. Someone's dressing you while you're being moved to the next set. You know, the but but being in the moment like that and feeling that kind of pressure is is adrenalizing. It's kind of like addicting too. Like and and you know and also with the Eastwood movie, this was like a hundred million dollar budget. I remember one time we were on the beach in Iceland that was meant to be Iwo Jima, and I looked to my left and there's literally five hundred extras holding weapons to my my left. That's and and you kind of lose yourself in the moment, and still I that bet. sequence is one take, <laughs> you know. Unless oh my, unless God. the mortar doesn't properly fire, or or one of the pyrotechnics doesn't go off, it's like all of that equipment, all that personnel, and you're still just going to do it one time is really, really crazy. Well, it's something like that, you must choreograph the shit out of it. You must rehearse that, right? Like <clears throat> with the camera and stuff. Man, not really, not too much. I mean, there's like a walkthrough with Steadicam. There's a walkthrough with Steadicam, oh but God. nothing, nothing, no, not really. That's And somehow wild. everyone rises to the occasion. And, you know, he's he's got such a system going on where um, a lot of his crew have worked with him, have met and married on his films, have had children, you know, they've been with him for decades. Oh my so God. it runs like a well-oiled machine, man. It's like, there's no drop off. They know exactly what he wants and needs. It's like everyone. It's beyond a shorthand. It's like almost like yeah. a no hand. Which was, you know, like <laughs> yeah. a, 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 there was something nice about you and Christian had a dynamic like that, where you guys like 
there there was there was the handoff like the, between the, the two of you and and you know your your thoughts and approaches to the scenes and obviously so much of your personalities and humor is in the script and um which was intimidating our overt masculinity yeah i bet i <laughs> well you really like played it very cool uh I, I i think ryan that's the first time we've ever been compared in any way to clint eastwood well there you go uh, snl was there anything on snl that when you pitched your um ideas and stuff was there anything that you pitched that you were really dying to do that they did that they like or like an impression that you wanted to do dude i had like a whole booklet of pit of pitch ideas i i that <laughs> i've been writing down for weeks leading up and things that i thought i could be good at and i thought would be funny and when it came to the day i that notebook never got opened in the room oh. i was so <laughs> i was so intimidated or whatever it was that like i I also, I didn't know, you know, because somebody who's not from comedy and that sort of thing, if they would even be receptive or listen to my ideas like that. Yeah. And so I had all of these good ideas that I just never even offered up because I got too scared. Uh-huh. Yeah, I bet. It's different when you're there in the room and Lorne Michaels is there and these people that you admire, these comedians are there pitching you ideas. Um, was Clint, what is, what did he first say to you when he cast you though? Like how, how does somebody like that say, I want you to do this? Like what, what was it about you? Do you ever articulate that? I never met him until we were on the private plane waiting to fly to Washington DC to shoot at the Iwo Jima Memorial. That was the first time I ever met him. So oh I had been, God. I had been put on tape like four or five times for various roles and then was cast. And the first time I ever laid eyes on him in person was Jesse and Brad, Jesse Bradford and I were on the plane, the Warner Brothers plane, waiting on the tarmac. And we see this black SUV pull up and Clint gets out and gets on the plane. And he's like, hey, nice to meet you. And that was the first time I ever met him. We, and what do you say? Are you, do you call him Mr. Eastwood? Yeah. Yeah, very much. Until, yeah. yeah, I think later on, because then, you know, we got close enough that like after the movie, he came to my house and played piano and stuff. So I think. We, we did get to a oh place where I could call him Clint, but I'm always super respectful anyway. Yeah. I was just raised like yeah, to yeah. be mindful of manners. And, and I know you kept calling me Mr. Long and Christian Mr. Long. It became confusing because we didn't know which of us you were talking to. It's just who I am. It's just how I was raised. <laughs> uh, people would be so mad if I didn't ask about Cruel Intentions. Um, movies like that, I know you did last summer, Cruel Intentions. That must have changed. You were like heartthrob status. People, you were in the public consciousness what was it like and how different do you think it is today? I don't know. I mean, I got cast in, in I know what you did last summer. That was like a re really sought after uh, project at the time. Like everybody around yeah. this age wanted to be in that. And like, and so I went through a, like a, you know, multiple auditions to be in that. And then as we're making, I know what you did last summer, the same producers had the script for cruel intentions. And so they oh, shared huh. it with Sarah, Michelle and I, um, while we were shooting, I know what you did last summer. And I was like, my parents will be so mad if I do this movie about cruel intentions. Cause it's, it's a very racy, like even still, man, like it's like, it's still, it's very much an envelope pushing teen movie. It's true. There's some racy shit in that. Uh, in, in fact, maybe even more now. Yeah. To watch. You maybe. Know? Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> like, you know, we look back at so many things through the lens of today and we're like, oh, would this even be made or, would I, you know? Oh, no. Um, but at the same time, it was it was so darkly funny and it was so biting and like it was my sense of humor, you know, and so I was I was dying to do it. But 
even in accepting that role or 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 the reception of that movie after i was never really cognizant or or intent on it launching me into like heartthrob status or whatever i just never saw myself that way i still don't i never you know i'm, I'm incredibly insecure all that sort of stuff and it's it's through the the allowance of losing myself in a character that i can really appreciate what i do honestly you know and it's like that's what was fun about playing tanner too similarly it's like to play someone who's so far from you and that you gives you like this license, you know, a lot of times when you have to be the leading guy and you, you're the protagonist, there's so many rules, unspoken rules that come along with that about behavior. And, you know, you got to be the person everyone identifies with and the strong archetype or whatever, but it's fun to inhabit these other characters who, who don't give a shit, who don't have any self-awareness, who, you know, or, or in Tanner's case, is like the poster boy for Arrested Development. Like, you know, hasn't grown beyond its college years, you know, even though it's... Well, it's an extension of Sebastian a little bit. It's it. There was an element of Sebastian, which I... It's funny, like, that movie was so indelible to me, but I never considered it, maybe because you were seen in this light. I saw you in this light as, like, uh, heartthrob guy it, but you were playing against your own natural like you said your own natural personality but at the time it was just it was such a good performance that i, I there may have even been a part of me that thought oh that's kind of like what he's like a little bit. but i didn't realize what a character part of was i got that reaction a lot too um from from people throughout the years and <laughs> uh, you know it's it's that's funny terrible. too no it but it but it's but it's also kind of a compliment because like I said I grew up lower middle class you know terrible education nobody had money <laughs> like you know and then then for people to believe that I was this person that came from wealth and like was you know it, like I feel like okay I did my it's job it's true you know? like, it's true I know you really I would never I guess I always made those suspicions about you uh, because of how good the performance was Life could be a dream, sweetheart. Do 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 shaboom. Hey everyone, I just wanted to pop in and uh, say hello from this beautiful resort right on the beach. <laughs> I'm actually here in the recording studio, Christian's it's Christian studio. Busted. I feel like I kind of am. I'm getting a little taste of the tropics because I've been enjoying Tropical Smoothie Cafe's new chia oatmeal pudding bowl. Ooh, what's that one like? Well, I love chia seeds. I know they're really good for digestion. I think there's protein in there. So I, I want to find ways to, to eat more of them. Um, and, but this one also combines coconut milk, which I love, nice, creamy, healthy without the, uh, the dairy, and steel-cut oats, which um, also healthy, topped with um, chobani. It gets more protein protein with a Greek yogurt, some fresh blueberries, sliced banana, granola, more chia seeds, and, and honey. Ooh, so I a little try. bit of sweet. It's good. I, I'd like to try that one. I, I've had the acai bowl, which is very delicious. It's Ooh. it's acai base. I see. Um, fresh strawberries, blueberries, sliced banana, some coconut, granola, Ooh. chia seeds. So get on Tropic Time now as you savor a new Tropic Bowl from your local Tropical Smoothie Cafe. Hello, hello again, shaboom, and up we'll meet again. There's so much more, but I know you got to go soon, so I, I got to do this lightning round. Okay. Which I'm, I'm so curious about. Uh, what is your most commonly used emoji, would you say? Your go-to emoji? Uh, I think the prayer hands. If you could be a professional athlete, I think I know this, what sport would you play? It'd be football. 
Yeah. Did you play in high school? No. My high school didn't have a football pro- I played soccer. They didn't have a football program. It was very, very underfunded uh, Christian school. Um, yeah. Yeah. But no, I'm, I just, I love football. I love it. It's, it, it, you know, I, sometimes I deal, I struggle a lot with my depression and mental health. And sometimes like, sometimes I feel like football is the only thing that can hold my attention. Like live sports and the nature of it, of it being like, you know, unpredictable. Um, I, sometimes if I get in, in, in bad states, I find it very difficult to watch like narrative TV or movies. I get that. Yeah. And like it's, and then it becomes for me, like podcasts work for me in those, when I'm in those spaces and live sports and, and football and basketball are the only two that I really watch. And I, I just, I love football. And does exercise help that? I mean, you, you were so in, you're yeah. in such good shape. Yeah. What's your go-to exercise? Do you still do martial arts? Um, I'll practice on my own. And, you know, if I have to get ready for a part that requires it, obviously I'll, I'll train then. But um, yeah, the, the commitment to exercising five or six days a week is largely about reduction of stress and anxiety and, and, and feeling like that's therapy for me. If you could have one snack food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Not a big snacker. Oh, really? Not really. Not really. But I tend to, if I'm going to go towards something, it's it's boring. It's like either chips or pretzels. Yeah. Um, it's I like those pretzel thins. Those yeah, those ones. are great. Yeah, with the those everything. Are so good. Them. That's the best one. Yes. When is MacGruber coming out, by the way? Is it coming out soon? Christmas. Oh, God. <laughs> Very MacGruber Christmas. What was the movie that you wanted to introduce your kids to that, that was really special to you growing up um, that you were really excited to show your kids? I remember, well, Star Wars is kind of like an easy one in some ways. Um, E.T. Yeah, sure. was one. And then I watched my, the Goonies with my kids and they loved it. And I was afraid they wouldn't like it. Uh, see, that's what I worry about. I, want to, I worry that like something like that, something beloved you you show them and they're like eh. by the way why did they never do a remake or a sequel to the goonies it's so crazy and didn't they talk about it for years i remember hearing they, yeah it's always been in the ether yeah. but it just never happened it's so strange uh yeah it's so funny we were talking I, seth green was on i have to have brecken on uh it, it so makes sense that you're friends with those guys it's um yeah i was just he, with brecken last night oh really yeah do you still do the dan tanis thing yeah, we yeah. Well, now it's at Craig's, but yeah, oh, it's yeah. the same oh, yeah. group. And we're you know we're probably like at, at like seven hundred plus dinners. Oh my god, that's um, wild. Yeah, it's um, really crazy. Tell him I say hi. Uh, shit, man. We I know we gotta go. What's your go to karaoke song? Probably "Big Pimpin" uh-huh. <laughs> by Jay Z. <laughs> I would love to see that. Uh, who was your first celebrity crush? Uh, Olivia Newton John. Okay, Greece. Yeah, yeah. Okay. She just did it for me on every level. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you're very confident about that. Uh, <laughs> if you had to get another tattoo, what would you get and where? Are you going to get more? I think I'd probably start erasing them. <laughs> well, I've already I, I have covered a couple that like were were that 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 I got um, in tribute to either women I dated or whatever it was, and then you know it didn't work, and so you had to get rid of those. Uh-huh. But also, you make a lot of rash decisions when you're young, and like you know, and then you get to a certain age, you're like, why the hell do I have this on my body? Yeah, you know? <laughs> I, like I heard like Pete Davidson is starting to remove some of his, and I'm like. Oh, really? I'm going to kind of hit him up and ask him how that's going. I heard it's really painful and it uh-huh. takes so many treatments. That's what I heard. But 
I don't know that I'll get any more unless I completely quit acting. It's a pain in the ass to cover them. It just is. Well, I know. Yeah, well, we had to deal with that. Yeah, I bet. Especially for, I mean, how do you, it, it must take hours in the makeup chair because you have a sleeve. Now, actually, there's a new product out that we use, just use, I just used for the first time, a MacGruber. And we did the whole sleeve of my arm in, in 25 minutes. Oh, no kidding. Okay. And it looked better than before when they used to do the airbrushing. And this is a, a way simpler process. It's just a different makeup that's made specifically now. People are designing stuff specifically to make it easier. Oh, wow. What's your favorite fruit? Probably peach. A peach? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right okay? peach. Heart's beat. It's great. I, I've been uh, denying peaches for nectarines lately. Mm. Is where I live. Mm. Um, there, there were just there's like the two week window where they're when they're ripe they're on another level, uh, and they put a peach to shame. But usually I agree with you. Uh, who do you want to play you in your biopic in the Ryan Philippi? Philippic. I mean, just one of those TikTok kids. Just whoever. <laughs> just, just, just grab a, grab a social media sensation. And who do who do people usually confuse you with? Who do they usually get wrong? You're like, oh, dude, you're so and so. I don't know. They used to say, uh, used to be Justin Timberlake or vice versa. <laughs> um, I don't know. Not too many though. I haven't had that a whole lot. I yeah. Had a whole lot. Um, do you? uh you're the, i've gotten flattering ones like sometimes it's keanu reeves that's a really flattering yeah. one for me yeah uh sometimes it's david schwimmer um not so much anymore uh who who's your favorite muppet animal uh-huh do you play instruments do you play the drums i don't play the drums i can play a little bit of piano but nothing that i would advertise so you wouldn't even mention it it's not even worth mentioning no. Uh, what is your go-to pizza topping? Pepperoni, green pepper, and mushroom. Okay. I, I asked Stanley Tucci this yesterday and he said, um, nothing, <laughs> nothing. Of course he did. So yeah. pure. Uh, just such a minimalist. Pure, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, classic Tucci. Do uh, dogs or cats to prefer? Dogs. Um, Beatles or the Rolling Stones, if you could pick. I mean, I guess, I guess I'm going to go Beatles. Is there a song that, um, if you're in a bar right now, they have a jukebox, what, what, what Beatles song would you put on right now that you want to hear? Well, actually, I mean, I was such a fan of Lennon's solo career after and songs like Watching the Wheels. And, hmm. um, and so that's why when I choose the Beatles answer, I'm thinking more about the individuals in the group. Like, I'm thinking about Lennon and yeah. McCartney. Um, you know, and, and yeah, the Stones, you can have, you have Keith and Mick. I don't know. There's just... Um, there was something more tortured and soulful about Lennon, especially post Beatles that I think I just is, is I'm so connected to. Uh, dude, I could talk to you for hours. This sucks. I know you have to go. That's <laughs> all right. Uh, but this is the best and I can't thank you enough. We're going to sing your praises more on the outro. Awesome. Um, thank you. But man, I, you know, you know how I feel about you. I, uh, and I miss you. I, I can't wait to hang. Yeah, let's hang. And I loved working with you. And I'm excited now that the movie's out in the world. And I hope people have a good time watching it. And let's do it again. So, so, so that happened. <laughs> uh, <laughs> was it gross the way I was doing it? It was just so funny that we like knew that we were going to do yeah, that. I got excited. So, so that happened. So that, so that so, happened. So that happened. Um, I think I did my impression of Ryan for him 
um, you know who does an incredible one? I mine comes from Max Minghella, the actor Max Minghella does an incredible, really? wonderful impression. Um, I hope he's listening. But it's it's sort of like it's you have to make your lips as because Ryan has naturally very pillowy lips. So I wanted you to take that one. <laughs> They're supple and uh, all right. <laughs> well, would I only know they were supple if I've touched them? I think that's a touch sensation. Suppleness. Uh. You can, I think you can say they look like they would be supple. <laughs> yes. Well, we shouldn't be saying either, really, because um, Ryan is a friend of ours, and uh, I don't want him to be thinking that now when we socialize next. When he, but I do catch myself looking at his lips. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it, was the, it was really no, funny he when, would laugh. when you asked what his uh, favorite fruit was, and he goes, <laughs> probably peach. <laughs> Yes, I know. I and then you this. mentioned for like the 13th time. Oh, I got to go stop talking about nectarines. The nectarines. I got to stop. Oh, my God. I know. It's like, okay. You... I know. But I did taste them. They are. I get why you talk about them. <laughs> right? They're really delicious. It's like that Seinfeld episode, the Mackinac Peaches it episode. Is. It is. Like, oh, my God. I mean, they really like. I, I also had them when I was stoned. You know, somebody on Instagram, because I've been, I posted about the movie. And somebody was like, the biggest surprise of the day was that you smoke, you, you get stoned. Really? Yeah, and I, I don't know why I wasn't offended, but I was like, "Well, I'm so, that's funny that somebody could have that kind of perception of me that I, I, I'm I like such kind a square." Of, I can kind of see that. Yeah, I guess I can too. Especially if you've only seen you in a certain role. Yeah, or and like playing nerds and stuff. But nerds now even smoke. I mean, that used to be whatever. I'm going off track. Also funny when he said, um, which I didn't know, he was so into Taekwondo. That's cool. That he was like going to be a professional. I didn't know that. I, I knew that he posts about every once in a while where he does. He's like, like I want to own, start my own dojo. It's funny. <laughs> Say dojo. Yeah, dojo. Dojo. Um, yeah, I know. He, I, and like, I, again. It's not, not surprising. Su- he's like an in incredible shape. Yeah, yeah. It's also not surprising that he, <laughs> he's going to, he's going to be like, guys, calm down. <laughs> I don't know if we can hang out socially if we go, go on like this about him. But um, he's in great shape. And also for like, he's 45 years old, I think. Anyway, That's crazy. It's crazy. But we shouldn't talk about, go on about his looks because this is also not a... Uh... But I like his tattoo regrets too. I know. I You're know. Like, what tattoo would you get? He's like, what tattoo would I get rid of at this point? <laughs> yes, it's funny. Because when we were doing Lady of the Manor, uh, there was a moment, I think it ended up lending itself to the character and being for the best, but we we had a moment of panic when we saw him and he told us about his sleeve of tattoos. He also had a, a, a thigh of tattoos that he couldn't, because he was supposed to take his pants off. Remember that scene? And so we had to shoot it from... Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Well, I, but that might be a good spoiler for people to get into the... Oh, that's true. We'll get the, some the, eyeballs on the yeah, movie. Yes, yeah. If we promise Philippi flesh. Philip flesh. Um, uh, Philippi-pee. But you don't okay. use um, But it, it's... <laughs> but, um, he... It must be annoying. And I remember the makeup. And we didn't have enough... We didn't have time. It was a low... Like, we can't stop talking about how low budget it was. But we just didn't have the luxury of, like, covering up those tattoos. But that was a And fun. we were shooting in Florida, so it was really hot. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. So it was like the option was either take three hours every day to cover up all his tattoos, which we didn't have time for, or put him in, like, salmon-colored blazers all the that time. That was another... Which, which was great. It looked, I think it was a really funny, like you said, character choice. I do, too. And um, he, he was really into that, and he got really involved in that. But it was also, like, yeah, boiling hot. I mean, he must... He was always... And, and uh, never, again, never complained... Never showed any signs of. I, I remember checking in with him a bunch of times, like um, 
you know, are you okay? Especially some of the bigger, the, the crowd scenes, spoiler alert, there are crowd scenes, but, um, y- you know, where, where he would just kind of be waiting uh, along with everyone else. Also, a big part of that was our fault, though we didn't plan things as well as we should have. We, so there was a lot of, yeah. um, it wasn't as, or- it was, you know, it's our first movie. Yeah. Give yeah. us a break. Yeah. Uh, but, Growing pains. <laughs> but um, as a result, there was a lot of waiting around for him. Yeah. And for someone of his caliber, and his resume mm-hmm. to spend a lot of time in costume, just waiting around on set, like a lot of time, like yeah. hours yeah. and hours well, without even a hint of complaining. Never. In fact, it's like I couldn't get over. I was like, I admired his like teamwork. I know. I, well, know. I don't know what the right word is. His well, like gameness. That's the kind of thing you would so much. You would never know that until until you were there in the trenches with somebody like that. And it speaks to how he was raised, um, how not the opposite of that cruel intentions character he yeah. really is. Yeah, that I think that is I mean, it really was an indelible performance. That's I, that's my big like biggest takeaway from knowing him a little bit and your conversation with him, listening to it, is that I think that specifically that performance in Cruel Intentions, mm-hmm. which is like iconic, mm-hmm. um, was so, so good. And the movie was so good that it really affected the way people saw him as a person because, and part of it was that, you know, like not to beat a dead horse, but he's, he's so handsome that he, That's and he also thing. came across as like this very like society kid, well-to-do, but it's so different than who he is a, as a person, which I is know. like a lower middle class kid growing up in Delaware who was insecure, was I know. obsessed with Saturday Night Live, I know. went I, to a Christian high school. Like, it's like Did almost the opposite. For like a talent show. Almost the opposite of that character. Totally. But yet, and myself included, I think so many people um, started seeing him that way. Mm-hmm. And I, like I've, I know I've said this on this show so many times, but my perception of someone has so often been incorrect Mm -hmm. and then you hear that you hear from them you get to know them a little bit and you realize that oh my god i like had a totally different idea of this person you know and no one more than him i I, me too your perception of ryan philby doesn't have to have changed ever having gotten to know him but um i'm so glad i got to know him and and i because we were even like in no way hesitant to cast him we we felt very right off the bat like once we heard he was interested we were felt very fortunate but um i don't i had no idea he would be as easy and game and like as different from how I imagined. I didn't either, but that's that's on me because oh, oh, I yeah, had me too. no right to think that to yeah. like prejudge him like no. that. Just I saw him in some movies and I, I knew about his like tabloid, like who he was married to. Well, and people do that a lot, project a lot. Of course, and, and, of yeah. course. I but it it's not it's not fair. Yeah, and like him yeah. talking about the way that was crazy. The paparazzi treated them back in the day. Oh, They'd go man. through the garbage. I, and- I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, I can a little bit. I mean, I, I had a taste of that. And like they were, you know, they the you kind of remember that back in the, the way they would drive through. I mean, they I mean, like really scary, dangerous stuff, driving through red lights and stuff. And I, I remember hearing cars slam on the brakes and like car horns behind us when we were trying to get rid of them. Yeah, I mean, they scary. were it's scary. Um, but but he must have had it like 10 times because he was, you know, um, and, and again, like for somebody who is and also protective of his family. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's like at all. Thanks. No, no. <laughs> I didn't mean that. I mean, with paparazzi <laughs> stuff. <laughs> 
I don't want to know what it's like to care. I mean, he seemed to care for his family members. Um, it, him talking about MacGruber was really interesting because, one, I think that he had that impulse to try to be funny when he first I know. was I doing love the table read. Yep. And he also had the honesty to admit that he yeah. was trying to be funny. Yeah. And he had the ability to uh, put his ego in check and not be funny once he got that direction. Right. And just play it totally straight and not and not try to steal scenes or anything. And as a result, that movie, and I'm sure the show, I can't wait for the show. I know. It works so well. I mean, obviously in part because friend of the show, Will Forte, and hopefully future friend of the show, Kristen Wake. <laughs> By the way, Will has been like... I think Ryan Philby is like that he makes that movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, playing it straight and, and committing to playing it like it's a, just an action movie. I know. That's that's I know. what makes it so funny. I know. Those guys were so smart to do that. To so really smart. like smart. And, and, and like shun all the like big comedy stars who want to be in the series. I know. It's kind of cool. It's really cool. And they were, I mean, that takes some nerve. Yeah. That takes some guts to do that and to commit to that. I, in fact, I remember seeing that movie in the theater. I was so excited to see it. Um, and I remember thinking, like, wow, I'm surprised Ryan Phillip, Phillippe did this. You know, like his, because he was such a big, and I saw him in such a different light uh, prior to that. And so it's sort of, I, at first, when he told me that about his agents, I was like, huh, my instinct was to be surprised at the agents and how, and their, and their, how little, um, how little vision they had. But I remember thinking that at the time too. Like, I'm surprised he did this movie. Why yeah. is Ryan Phillippe playing this, like, this kind of throwaway, not throwaway, but like it, it, a very procedural part. It's kind of a kind of like this boring part. Mm -hmm. But he, it takes a guts to do that and to commit to it. And and it takes somebody it's who's also really, not a boring part when you not at all play it straight. It, I mean, that's the lesson, right? That, uh, not at all. But at the time, boring was the wrong word. Um, it, not flashy. Mm -hmm. And and it's it takes a lot of confidence to play a part like that. And and it takes, I think, a true understanding of the comedy. It's it's like something you see in Waiting for Guffman. You know, there there are moments like that in Waiting for Guffman or any of those Christopher Guest movies where those actors are playing it so real that it's like, if you read it in a script, if there was a script of Guffman, which was an all improv movie, it probably wouldn't read as very funny. Right. I, I mean, him comparing in any way MacGruber to like the awkward moments, the awkwardness of MacGruber to our movie is like, I think so flattering. I mean, MacGruber is uh, like, obviously didn't, like he talked about, did not do well. It bombed, in fact, when it came out and was like, Critics hated it. Critics but, hated it. But now it's uh, it's it's a classic. Hey, that's a nice thing to think about. <laughs> yeah, that's something to... Uh, yeah. Because comedy is... I mean, that's what we've been learning the last couple of days. It's really been hitting home for us how subjective it is. And certainly when it comes to like a critic who doesn't like the movie, it's it's purely about if you find something funny. It, it's been um, It's been interesting. And like... It's been a lesson in setting our own expectations aside, too, uh, and, and, and re reminding ourselves that, like, hey, w we find it funny. And so, again, we hope you find it funny. At the end of the day, that's all you can do, right? Exactly. And, you know, we think about some, like, comedies that inspired us, like some, some of the early Adam Sandler comedies or, or um, you know, What About Bob we've talked about. Uh, and those movies typically don't aren't beloved by critics. So, I don't know, it helps to remember that for us, for our own little fragile egos. Should we read a letter? Yes, let me or, go. Sorry, let me rephrase. Should you read a letter? Okay, yeah, I was going to say. Like, well, you want to read all of a sudden? You don't get to read. That was the AC going on. Are you hot? Yeah, do I have a mustache A little sweat? mustache sweat. Do I? I think I might. I can't. Uh, a little bit. Yeah. You both have to have mustache sweat when it gets too hot in a room with no ventilation. Okay, 
This is from, whoa, this is from Mayor Michelle. You know, I've been thinking about the name. I love Mayor Winningham so much. The and actress or the, the actress. Name? Well, both. Mayor is a cool name, but the actress I love. And um, I just saw this great Val Kilmer documentary that he made that about his life. It's really amazing. But I didn't know that she, they, they dated. They were uh, lovers. Hmm, I didn't know that either. Yeah, Mayor and Val. Two great. What a great oh, couple. Oh, you're such now. a gossip. <laughs> well, I didn't mean that in a... <laughs> That's true. Yeah. What a weird thing to point out. From that, it's a really like life-affirming documentary too, and that's what I took from it. But they do. I didn't know they were lovers. Um, why does a gossip person sound like that? <laughs> You're like Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> oh, geez, he's doing different voices now. Um, okay, subject from Mayor Michelle. Sounds like Mayor of Michelle. I thought that's what you said at first. That's no, Mayor M A R E. Mayor Michelle. Cool. That might be a confusing name to him. Mayor. Subject, blast from the past. Hi, guys. I hope you're well and got to do something really... I'm sorry. <laughs> Again. Hi, guys. I hope you are well and got to do something you really enjoy today. Huh. Well, we, we're doing this. Yeah. So, yeah. We, we do. We are. Uh, I wanted to thank you for creating such a wonderful podcast. I discovered it after watching your episode of Celebrity Family Feud. Oh, boy. Still, still laughing at Christian's necklace answer. Oh, boy. Isn't that crazy that your shame is public? Whenever I see my friend Chris now, he always goes, necklace. I know. I saw him do that. I, I didn't realize when he did that on the video why he, that's funny. He, he thinks necklace. that's the funniest thing. <laughs> that's funny. And so does Mayor. Yeah. Um, I, well, Mayor, in my defense, <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> it's a little nerve wracking to be on Family Feud with yeah. Steve Harvey right next to you and a lot of money on the line for charity. So uh, uh, I panicked. That's fair. And I gave a really dumb answer. That's Mayor. <laughs> Um, okay. I, uh, I've been, it is. Uh, yeah, I get it. I was really nervous. It's, t- it's, there's but a you lot know of, what we won. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah happy ending. Okay. And if we had lost, whatever, it would have been a fun oh, experience. Much less happy. Ending. Yeah, that's true. Cause we probably would have lost because of necklace. Um, I've been binge listening since episode number one and just finished the Allison Brie episode. Thank you, Mayor. Life is short has been helping me get through my days at work and is such a joy to listen to before bed. Really nice to hear. Since I'm starting from the beginning, I got to hear the transition from pre-COVID times to the state in which the world is in now. My heart breaks for the two of us. And my heart breaks for the two of us as I listen to the past versions of yourselves gush over your grandmother, knowing in present day she's already passed on. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be... I got to re-listen to that episode one day. I'm not quite ready. You see, I lost my grandmother to COVID in May, uh, May 2020. And I feel as though I never got to properly mourn her. Mm. The world was shut down when we lost her. So it still feels like I'll see her again once the world goes back to normal. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I've been feeling that. You know, it's weird because I have such memories of her in the summertime. She would come visit, our grandmother would come visit in the summer. And this past summer was strange. Um, yeah, I'm not, sorry if you're lost. That yeah, sucks. I, I, I mean, like you said, we're going through it still. And yeah. You know, I had a moment, sorry to interrupt, uh, watching the movie and um, and the first, on the big screen on opening night. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, man, it would be it would be so cool if grandma was still alive I to know. see this. But then my, like immediately I had another thought, which is she I wouldn't want her to see this movie. <laughs> yeah. And and like I know because she was like the most supportive person I know. ever. She like 100 percent would have seen it. And uh, and it's some of that humor. No, I know some of the more crass elements yep. of the movie. Yeah, I would have felt very uncomfortable if 
uh, you know, subjecting her to that. Me too. I thought the same thing. Yeah. You don't both have to think that you're glad that your grandmother can't see this, but would have loved for her to be there. Um, I know. Me too. But you know why? Because, you know, because like we, we kind of shoehorned some uh, pretty spicy comedic stuff into uh, sort of fluffy, sweet buddy comedy. Like, um, and so she, she might've been confused. It's like, Oh, there are certain elements she would have been like really into, I think, you know, like, oh, that's cute. And like the, the two of them have to work together to do this yeah. thing. But then, like, I know. I mean, hopefully she wouldn't have been able to hear it very well. well that's, her, she had really bad she hearing. She had bad hearing at the end. And, and wouldn't let anyone get her a good hearing aid because she felt guilt about people spending money on her. And I can attest to this specifically, specifically to that because she came to see a movie I did at the Fort Lauderdale Film Festival um, a year before she passed away. And, um, it was she was so sweet to come and like it was she came with her friend Winnie shout out and she just was having a hard I had to kind of it was funny because I had she's what and she wanted to hear it so I was like having to kind of say what I was saying on the screen uh -huh. just like into her ear the whole time it was so such a fun night anyway I'm sorry Mayor um yeah so she's back to Mayor she said so many people like myself never got to say goodbye I mourn your loss the way I never got to mourn mine sending you all the biggest hugs what a nice what a nice thing to hear. Thank you. Um, on, and likewise, on a lighter note, I do have some would you rather questions that I hope you'll enjoy. Exciting. Okay. Number one, would you rather create your life's greatest work and have no one see it huh, or be famous for only making terrible, <laughs> mediocre movies? Oh, <laughs> to be clear, the amazing ones that already exist don't in this scenario. That is such a good question that is so timely. It is. I see. Hmm. Mm. That's really tricky because. Yeah. Um, my instinct was to say the f first one. Art and ego. I would pick the second one, but not because I want to be famous for anything, but because well, it, it would imply that uh, you're working and you have a livelihood <laughs> and you have a livelihood. Whereas the first one, if no one sees it, mm -hmm. then it doesn't really count as making something for because part of it's making for something someone. I is, know. is for and, it, you want to make it for someone and i would say a lesson that i've learned this weekend is that um comedy especially is very subjective a movie like that i i went and we were just talking about this adam sandler movie that we love mr deeds it's one of my one of our i think one of the funniest movies it's and uh and billy madison happy gilmore they got terrible reviews so like if you say that might classify Mare in, in your definition as a terrible, mediocre movie. Right. That's I, I true. think a lot, certainly critics at the time would have said that's a terrible movie. That's true. But God, how, how much joy it's brought me, you know? That's true. And as much fun as it is to make a movie, there's something very selfish about ima imagining making a movie that n that's just for me making it. Mm, I know. You know? And, and but, I, if it, but if, the, sorry, if the first part of it was uh, make a, you're great like it's something you're really pr proud of that like your closest friends and mm -hmm. like you can pick a hundred people to see or something mm -hmm. i might pick that. I, I might pick that too because i certainly don't need the adulation I but might, yeah but i definitely need an audience yeah that's true so i would have to pick the second option by default and life's greatest work implies that um i don't know that that like that that's gonna be it there's a finality to that and and and, and there's a completion. There's there's like a satisfaction and an ego satisfaction in the completion of it, which there definitely always is. But, but for me, I always my joy is in the making of it. Like when I think back about the movie, it's my favorite moments were the yeah, it was fun to see it the other night and everything. But like it's it was really like doing it, putting it together and 
you know, shooting it and uh, being down there and no, writing I, it. I agree, but it wouldn't have been as satisfying, I would argue, if you knew that not a single person that would is get true. to see it. That is true. So uh, once again, thank you, Lionsgate. <laughs> uh, number two, uh, another, great. I like when there are two would-you-rathers, because, um, well, because I like them. Number two, would you rather drive a car that honks every time you brake, you can't get it fixed or buy a new car, or have a car that you'd have to listen to a song you hate in its entirety before being able to drive it? Like Mr. Roboto. You know what comes to mind is Mr. Roboto. Remember how crazy I would rather listen. I would rather listen to 10 songs I hate before I drove before the first option. Oh, really? Because you brake a lot. In a car. Honk, honk. Also, it would cause... I and mean, everyone, I would you be apologizing oh, all the constantly, time. It constantly, constantly. Someone uh, apolog- uh, apologized to me. Did the opposite. They, they beeped at me uh-huh. uh, mistakenly the other day when I was driving. Because uh-huh. uh, I, I was at a red light and I was taking a right. And they just... The car behind me didn't see that there was another car coming. And uh-huh. I couldn't... I had to yield to them. And they beeped at me. And I got so angry... <laughs> I didn't do anything, obviously, uh-huh. but I got angry with them for beeping at me when I was just following the rules. So I would hate to have all these people think that about me. Every time I broke, they would think that I'm mad at them. Right. It would be awful. I once, I once was, I was driving my friend's car and I beeped the horn uh-huh. at a because I saw a friend of mine uh-huh. of ours, and I was like beep beep, and it's a wave. And there was like some glitch happened in the car and the horn just stayed on. And it was like, wah. That's and funny. I could So I had to drive, but I was in traffic. So I had to wait until I could pull into what? a parking lot. What? And my friend was like, dude, stop. He thought I was holding on the horn. I was like, I'm not doing anything. So we did go to pull into a parking lot and pull out the little, um, the little thing in the. What little thing? There's a little like, uh, what's it called? Like a circuit. Oh, like there. A, oh, you did? Yeah. What car was that? It was a Volvo. It was Doug's car. <laughs> it was so embarrassing, though. It was like, on for that. It was a good, like, it felt like an hour, but it was probably, like, 90 seconds. So but it was a nightmare. Funny. That is so funny. That should be in a movie. Mm-hmm. And maybe if we get to do another one. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, yeah, I got, a cr- I got cut off in such an aggressive way. Like, in a way that, like, I almost, I had to slam on my, my brakes. They cut me off. I was in the second lane. And then they like slow down and I was, I do this thing now on the road and it, meditation has helped where I, when I feel angry or I feel like a surge of something, I just get like overly friendly and I'm like, Hey, whoa. And I'm like making these, I mean, I guess it's a form of passive aggression. Mm-hmm. Um, has meditation helped? Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah, it really has. Um, but uh, he, so then they, and then they like got off really like driving erratically and gave they got back into the other lane and gave me the finger wow <laughs> it's like and then you hunted them down no, and uh, slashed no. their tires no i was just like i waved at them i truly i wave, i gave them a thumbs up when i get the finger now i give the thumbs up <laughs> you give them a different finger <laughs> yes yes uh that is really funny about the car horn um, but also i kind of like listening to bad songs it's, it's like fun to hate songs yeah it was yeah. It'd be annoying if you're in a rush and you had to listen to like, oh, you know, I'm getting closer <laughs> to my, you know that song? Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting closer to my own. And it's like, it's like they ran out of lyrics. I'm getting. And it goes on forever. It's like they were so proud of that one lyric. They were like, oh, let's just do the whole song about this. It would be annoying to have to listen to that if you were late for something. I think Mr. Roboto would be more annoying. Yeah, maybe. And it's also that like, it's like that affected robot voice. Um, 
Oh, you know, have you have you been enjoying me as Roboto in the He-Man series? Oh, that's out. <laughs> <laughs> Supportive. Uh, P.S. Back to Mayor. I've attached a photo of myself because I think it's nice to have a face to connect to the person writing to you. That's very nice. I think other shorties should do the same. Smiley face. You know, it's and that's from Mayor Michelle, twenty-eight, Pennsylvania. Uh, you know what? I actually kind of think the opposite. Hmm. There is something about just gleaning this about gleaning something about somebody based on what they've written but i do get the argument for seeing it is nice to connect uh, the whole time you've been reading i've seen what she looks like because it's on the back of the oh, page. oh hey well she's so fair- it's, it's sort of nice oh my to God. picture just, who's writing it yeah she is and she, she also happens to have a very nice face she does have a very she, nice she face. looks like a very like pleasant doesn't she look like a really like cute sweet pre- like pleasant person she does and uh, she's a mug that says football dad. Uh, but anyway, Mayor, thank you uh, for including that and for teaching us a lesson. Yes. <laughs> uh, and for and and to Ryan. Sorry, and we're sorry about your loss. Very sorry. Uh, and can definitely empathize with you. And thank you for writing in. And if you guys would like to write in, our email address is Justin. Life is short. At sorry, that was misleading. It's not Justin. Life yeah, is short. no, it's that's just true. life is short at wondery.com. And thank you to everyone who listened and again to the anyone who watched the movie and mostly uh today thank you to ryan for being such a gracious guest and so patient and game and funny in our in our first movie yeah we'll never forget it never thanks and thanks for having great supple lips (laughs) yeah we think that looks supple Mm -hmm. um and uh, yeah, check out right. Oh, of course, check out McGruber coming out in Christmas. I know what I'm doing this Christmas. Man, I was, I was, I'm so fucking excited for that. I cannot. I I rarely look forward to like a thing coming out. Um, man, I can't wait. So thanks to Ryan and uh, and all of you. And check out Lady of the Manor. And we'll talk to you next week. Life could be a dream. Life could be a dream. Life is Short is hosted by me, Justin Long. It is co-hosted and produced by you, Christian Long. It's also produced by Megan, V, Monaco, and Katie, V, Alan, senior producer on this, Michelle, Mish, Lance, and there's an audio engineer, Sergio Enriquez. And also, don't forget about the executive producer, Marshall Louis's name for Wondery. In fact, I'm like, the only thing I'm mad about is that I didn't take a picture I of it. Know, I know, I know. I can still picture it in my head so clearly, though. It was like, it was so noticeable. We should So you must have seen it right away. I didn't see it right away when we sat down. That's uh, the problem. Yeah, yeah. I only saw it once the interview started. And I glanced <laughs> over at you to like, because you were saying something. You were answering uh, a question. Uh-huh. And I was like, uh-huh. And I like looked over and I saw all the schmutz on it. But. I just didn't look at your face when you sat down. You know what it was? I was eating one of those like Beyond Burger. I made like the Beyond Burger and it was like, it got a little charred. It was spilling over the side of the bun yes. bread. I saw that. Yeah. And so it, it clipped the side of my face. like <laughs> So my face got like, it was like saucy and like burgery. I, 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 I must not have like felt it. <laughs> So funny. I'm like, I don't obviously I don't want you to be embarrassed. Oh, it'd be so funny. But it'd be funny. It it was probably a janky show.
So yeah. like it wouldn't have mattered really. It would have been how funny. funny would it be if there was footage? Footage, of I know. Of like well lit footage of an entire interview of you with like crap on. Like when has that ever happened? I don't. I've never seen that. <laughs> hey, Prime members, you can listen to Life Is Short ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer land. There's no crime in Pura. No murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. I killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.